Bibles. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Peter heals the crippled beggar. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished at and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? If by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has made, made, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from St. Mark, chapter 1 verse 21 to 28, and you'll find it on page 1002 of your Bibles. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching, and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirit, and they obey him. 
news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Am I? Uh, let me just make sure I'm on. I think I'm on. That's good. And it's good to be back. Debs and I have been away the last three weeks. Well, the last two and a half weeks, we've been away walking a pilgrimage in northern Spain called the Camino, and we've had a lovely time. And you can see, caught the sun a bit because you're outside for five hours a day, walking along, meeting lots of lovely people, sharing stories, and listening to people's stories. And it's lovely to be back. And uh, while I've been away, what have you been doing? I mean, uh, we've been gone, being very busy, and so I've heard that you've been thinking about sharing your story, and Charlie did a really good job of that, and sharing uh, God's story. And I even found uh, a little handout, if anyone hasn't got one of these. This is looking very helpful, different ways to share God's story. And today we're thinking about a third tool in that toolbox of sharing our faith. And it's a tool that's there in these two Bible readings that we had this morning. So that reading about Jesus, Jesus goes to the temple in Capernaum and he goes to teach. He goes there to teach and he's doing some teaching on a Sabbath. But there's a man who has an evil spirit, a man who has a need And Jesus could have just walked away. He could have kept his head down and stayed quiet and walked out of there and gone back to the disciples and had a nice meal with uh, Peter and the others. But he doesn't. He sees the man has a need and he heals him. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And that's just the start of a whole pattern of healings that happen on the Sabbath that were against the rules of the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people. These healings are part of what's going to get Jesus crucified. But Jesus sees the need and he prays for that person. And, he, and the man's healed. His life is transformed. And then the second uh, story, the, the first reading we had uh, this morning, we're going to look at in a bit more detail, the story of Peter and John going to the temple. It's on page 1094 in Acts chapter 3. Uh, luckily they had a cameraman there to uh, take this picture uh, when it happened and uh, Peter and John go up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon to pray and as they get there the man who begs is delivered to his spot at the temple gate called Beautiful and presumably it was worked on a shift pattern and the afternoon shift was his shift at three o'clock he always arrived he always got ready to beg And Peter and John come past him, and they both see him, and they look at him. And he looks at them, and they get his attention, and he's expecting a financial transaction. He's expecting to get given some money, isn't he? But instead, he gets a completely different transaction. He gets given new life. He says, he's hoping to get some money, and Peter says to him, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. Something much more valuable. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter gives him something of Jesus, and that something of Jesus transforms that man. The lame, those who were physically impaired, were not allowed into the temple. 
because they were seen as those suffering from God's curse. If they were, if they were ill or sick, they weren't allowed into the holy place where God was. But what happens to the man? He jumps up. He jumps up. He starts walking. He starts jumping. He hasn't experienced jumping before. He's seen other people jump. He's never done it in the whole of his life. He starts jumping and he goes into the inner courts of the temple because now he can. Now he has a restored relationship with God because of what Peter and John have done in a moment. They've prayed for him and his life is transformed. They see a need and they pray. Now, through this year of mission, we've been encouraging people to build relationships and that that's part of how we do evangelism these days. We build relationships with people. But sometimes God will be ahead of us and he'll be working in ways that we can't expect or explain. And just sometimes we'll see someone and we might offer to pray for them and that might change their whole life. Peter and John don't know this man. There's no sign that they know this man. They might have seen him before as they've gone past him, but they haven't spent time making a relationship with him, have they? They've just offered to pray for him. And Jesus steps in and his whole life is changed. They offer a prayer in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you could say, well, they were apostles. They'd spent time with Jesus. You can't expect us to go around praying for people like that. But perhaps we should. Perhaps we should get out there and pray for people a bit more. There are stories of churches where people are getting out there and praying for people and amazing things are happening. And no, it won't always happen like this. And no, we need to start small and get a bit of confidence. Start with someone we know who has a little need. Start with somebody who we think will be friendly and kind when we offer to pray for them. That's fine. Peter and John had seen amazing things beside Jesus. We're not expected to step up and step into their shoes, but we are expected to do the things that Jesus wants us to do, to be his disciples, because this is who we are called to be. This is what we do, because this is who we're called to be. If we could have the next slide. We see a need and we pray for it. That's who we're meant to be. The people who follow what Jesus did. Jesus saw a need and he prayed. His followers saw a need and they prayed. We're meant to be his followers. We're meant to pray as well. So the third tool in our toolbox, as well as sharing our story, as well as sharing God's story, is to pray for people because that can change everything. To bring God's presence into his world. This is who we're meant to be. We're meant to shine his light into dark places. We're meant to be the salt that brings flavour, the yeast that shapes the dough. We're meant to be the mustard seed that grows into a whopping great tree. We're meant to be, if we could have the next slide. Sorry, Jonathan, I'm going off script. I've given Jonathan my notes, but I never stick to them, so it's pretty hard for him to follow and get, keep up. But this is a picture that Jesus painted for us, for who we should be. We should be light. We should be salt that flavours our society. We should be yeast that works through all of our society. And the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. We need to go around planting little seeds, saying little prayers in odd places, because you never know where a mustard seed's gonna grow into a wonderful mustard tree. You never know where that's gonna happen. That's that whole story of the sower, isn't it? You just cast your seed wherever it goes, and some of it produces fruit. And that's who we're meant to be, going out there, praying little prayers in unexpected places, because then God can pop up and do all sorts of things that we can't 
even imagine. This is what Jesus did. This is what his followers did. And there's three things that we need to understand about our identity to encourage us to get out there and do this. I know this all sounds like a big job. Is this really what we were made for? Is this really who we are? Well, these three pictures help us to see that this is part of who we are. The first picture comes from 2 Corinthians and it's about ambassadors. I thought about ambassadors and uh, the image I came up with is the Ferrero Rocher advert. You know the one? The ambassadors, he's treating us. The ambassadors have lovely parties and they invite lots of people to them and they uh, tell them all about their country and they explain the customs of that country and they get to mix and they learn the language of the place where they are and they bring the good news of where they've come from, where they represent into the place where they are. This is what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our sins against us. He has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador has authority, doesn't he? I couldn't go and pretend that I was the ambassador of the Ukraine, could I? I couldn't go up to the House of Commons and say, hello, I'm the Ukraine's ambassador. I couldn't do that and get in and deliver a message to some MP or somebody. I have to have authority. We have authority. The authority that was given to us as part of the Great Commission Jesus says, we have authority and he is with us to the very end of the age. And we can go and spread his message, bring his kingdom down to earth, make his kingdom come, make a little bit of heaven appear here in South Sea. We won't see all of heaven until we get there, but we can make a little bit of heaven here if people are rescued and restored and redeemed and set free from sin and death because we have delivered the message that God has sent us to deliver by saying a little prayer for them. That may be all it takes. So you need to turn to the person next to you or behind you and say to them, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are an ambassador of Christ. Okay, are we all feeling diplomatic? Are we all ready to deliver the message? We are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. That's the first part of our identity. Okay, the second part of our identity is that we're part of a family business. Again, you have to understand how my mind works, but I thought family business, open all hours. Uh, There is a little corner shop. There's a man called Arkwright. Probably you've never watched this program. You're all too, you're all all not like me. Anyway, uh, there's a man called Arkwright and his nephew is called Granville. And the shop stays open because Arkwright passes it on to his nephew, Granville, and there's a whole new series uh, that Granville is now running the shop. It's a family business. And we are in God's family business. We don't often think about family businesses these days. Occasionally, you get families, and they're all lawyers, or they're all doctors, and that's great. But often, our children choose to do something different, don't they? But in Jesus' time, those who were in a family learned to do what they're families did. Joseph was a carpenter, we think, and so Jesus became a carpenter. Uh, 
the sons of Zebedee became fishermen. John and uh, James were fishermen because their dad Zebedee was a fisherman. You were expected to be part of the family business. Well, we all know that we are children of God, don't we? That's part of who we are. We all know that we are children of God. That's why Jesus came. He came so that we could be born again, born of water and the Spirit, born into this new family, God's family. And God's family has a family business. And it's making this world the way it should be. It's reclaiming all that's gone wrong. It's setting all that's messed up right again. It's just changing things. That's what God's family business is. And we're meant to be part of that business. And we do that by going out there and seeing people in need and praying for them. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you become a follower of Jesus, if you become a child of God, then you join in with the family business. And we don't all have to be exactly the same in the way that we do that. We're all called to be ourselves. We're all called in the rich diversity that God has given us to make a difference where we are in what we do. But we're all called to be part of the family business. Jesus came and taught his apprentices how to do it. And he wants us to do it just like they did. And then the third picture, the third picture of who we are is that we are a priesthood of all believers. God has called all of us to be priests in his name. Originally, he called Israel to be a holy nation. He chose Israel out of all the nations of the world to represent himself, to bring some of his holiness into the world. But that didn't work. Israel were meant to shine as a light It's there in the prophet Isaiah, in the world. But unfortunately, it didn't work. Sin triumphed over them and God had to send his son to set us free. And the New Testament makes it clear that we are a holy nation. We are a priesthood of believers. So that means that we are all priests. It's not just those who get to stand up the front with a funny collar. It's all of us are priests. So when I go round to visit somebody and uh, I see them and have a chat, at the end of my visit, people expect me to say a little prayer. And they would be a bit disappointed if I didn't, I think. They would be a bit, oh, you know, 50% tick, 50% missing. They wouldn't be happy if I left without a prayer. That's because I'm a priest. But what we need to think, what we need to see is that we're all priests. We should all be praying when we go round to see people, when we go round to take them some good news, when we go round to listen to their stories, when we go round to deliver some shopping. Why not say a little prayer before we leave? On our uh, Camino journey, we met some lovely South Koreans called Haley and Min, and they invited us to their Airbnb on the last night to have a Korean meal. They cooked this lovely Korean meal. And at the end of that meal, I thought, shall I say a prayer with Haley and Min and Debs? And I didn't. I know. Rubbish. I didn't. Because I was on holiday and I wasn't in my collar. And if I can't do it, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. And perhaps it is a bit scary at the end of a meal to say, oh, shall we just say a prayer before we leave? That is a bit scary, isn't it? But perhaps that's who we should be if we are a priesthood of all believers. 
if we are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, we should bring that little bit of heaven into people's everyday experience. God's presence should come with us wherever we go. Each one of us taking prayers to places where they're not usually said. This should be our immediate reaction. If we see a need, we should pray for it. This should be our default position. Not to try and solve things, but to bring things to God so he can solve them. Have you seen this before? Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. That's what we do when we pray. We're not telling God how big our problems are. We're telling our problems how big God is. We should be blessing people, telling them that there's a great big God out there who loves them and cares for them. And he's the one who can bring them to the place where they need to be. He's the one who can set them free. He's the one who can give them the life that they're longing for. Tell your problems how big your God is. And then everything changes. That's what we do in prayer. This is a job for everyone, everywhere, every day. As we are, in the way that we best do it, in our relationships, we can all pray for people around us. This is our basic job. And this is what our year of mission is about, releasing the power of Jesus into our community, our city and our world. And I wonder if you remember that right at the start of our year of mission, uh, Mary Thurlow uh, got up and she told us a little story about getting taxis. Mary's an old lady in our community. She hasn't got a car anymore, so she gets taxis everywhere. And she told us how she always talks to the taxi drivers. And she talked to this one taxi driver. She found out all about him. He was from Romania. His son was still in Romania. And Mary asked if she could pray for the man's son in Romania. And he said, yes, please pray for him. Please pray for him. And we can do that, can't we? Mary is a special person, but she's not so special that we can't be like her. We could all do that. We could all find out about the people that we come in contact with. We could all find out what their need is, and we could pray for them. If we have the next slide. This is a job for anybody. Anyone can do it. If Mary can do it, we can do it. And then, a more positive story from our Camino journey. Just last week, um, on the Camino, lots of people, you're walking about 25 kilometers a day. Lots of people walk too hard and too fast. And there's a bit of a need to get to the next place to get a bed. So people end up, after a few days, limping with blisters or tendons or uh, joints. Lots of people are limping. So you're walking past people and thinking about them and seeing them. And we'd been walking behind this one lady who had a couple of sticks and she was obviously limping, not going very fast. So we caught her up and passed her. And then she caught us up at the next picnic place. So we all stopped for a picnic, have a drink of water, get out some Haribo or whatever's going to keep us going for the next uh, couple of kilometers. And this lady came over and she was called Meg from Japan. And she had a little hat on with a little red heart. So we knew that she was a nice lady. Well, most of the people on the Camino are nice anyway. So uh, she got talking to Debs, and Debs was talking to her about Japan and where she'd come from, and she'd been in Edinburgh working, and now she was doing the Camino. And at the end of that meeting, Debs said, can I pray for your knee? I see you're limping a bit. And she said, yeah, my knee's really bad. That'd be really nice. Could you pray for it? 
So Deb's prayed for it, and then we walk on. And on this walk, there's lots of places that you can stop. There's lots of places where you can cross over and miss people. But two days later, we were stood outside a church at one of the places that we stopped at. And we were looking up at the church because there were white stork's nests on the top of the front of the church. You know, Spanish churches have those big fronts, and uh, there were four stork's nests. Only three of them were occupied. I get a bit carried away about birds. I'm sorry, but I do. Anyway, we were looking at the stork's nest, and who walks up but Meg? We hadn't seen her at all for the last two days. And she comes to Deb's, and she says, thank you so much for praying for my knee. It's completely better. And, and she said, she said, thank you for praying for my knee. And Deb said, no, it was Jesus who healed your knee. It was Jesus who healed your knee. And then we don't know what's going to happen with Meg, whether she's going to go back to Japan. She's on this Camino. We don't know what's going to happen to her. But Deb's prayed. You can pray anywhere. Anyone can do it, and you can do it anywhere. And then the last story about praying for somebody there was a conference that we went to and a vicar called uh, John McGinley. He's been teaching this stuff in his church in Holy Trinity Leicester and he's been telling people to get out there and pray for people. And so he was in the coffee queue in the coffee shop. So think coffee number one or Costa. He's in the queue at the coffee shop and the two ladies in front of him are talking. And one lady says to the other, my knee's really bad and the doctors can't find out what's wrong with it. And the other lady say, oh, you're going back for more tests? And she's saying, yeah, x-rays next week. And John, who's a vicar, so he's had some practice, but he's thinking in his head, I've got to pray for this lady. Like I was thinking, I should pray for these. Anyway, he says to her, can I pray for your knee? And she turns around and she says, are you a Reiki healer? Because that's what people expect. People expect Reiki healers to pray for them. They don't expect Christians to pray for them. And John said, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that he still heals people. And she said, yes, you can pray for my knee. So he prayed for her knee in the queue in the coffee shop. And her knee got better. Her knee got healed. And by the time she left the coffee shop, she'd had a whole conversation about Jesus with him. And that conversation was going to lead places. And he said, he said, when you pray for something and some, somebody and something happens, you're no longer talking about whether God exists. You know, often people are saying, oh, well, I don't believe in God. You're talking about the type of God who exists, aren't you? The type of God who steps in and loves people enough to heal them and make them better in a coffee shop queue. That's what you're talking about if you're healing for people and meeting people's needs. It makes all the difference to share your faith by praying for somebody and seeing them healed. It makes all the difference. And you know people's biggest need People's biggest need is to know Jesus. Would we agree with that? That's people's biggest need, to know Jesus. When you've shared your story, when you've shared God's story, when you've perhaps prayed for somebody, there might just be a time, and it won't happen very often, when someone would say, well, how do I get this Jesus in my life? And that is another prayer situation, isn't it? Where you need to pray with somebody, because you need to open them up so that they can offer themselves up to God. And you might think, well, I couldn't ever pray with somebody. I couldn't ever do that. I'd have to go and get Adam. He knows how to do that. I'd have to go and get Mike. He knows how to do that. Well, you don't have to. Remember, we're ambassadors. We're in the family business. We are all priests. You can do this too. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. We all know about saying thank you, sorry, please prayers, don't we? 
A prayer of commitment is just a thank you, sorry, please prayer. A teaspoon prayer. Thank you, sorry, please. All you have to say is something like this. Get the next slide up. You just need to say, thank you, God, for the life and love that you've given to me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins in my place. So you say the first line and let them repeat it. They say that line. You say the next line. They repeat it. Then you say the sorry bit. I'm sorry that I've messed up as I tried to live my life without you or something like that. You don't have to get these exact words right. I'm sorry that I tried to live my life my own way. They say that. I ask for your complete forgiveness. That's repentance, isn't it? Turning around and asking for God's forgiveness. And then the please part. Please help me to follow you from now on. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit as I ask you into my life. Amen. That is not complicated. We could all do that. We are all priests. We're all ambassadors. We're all in the family business. We can all do this. If the point, if the need arises, if that point comes to pass. After someone says this prayer, there's four things that it's good to recommend that they do. It's good to recommend that they read the Bible to find out more about Jesus. It's good to recommend that they pray so that they will develop their relationship with God. It's good to recommend that they meet up with some other Christians, find a church, find a community, find a small group, find an alpha course, find something where they can carry on and be encouraged on the way. And then it's also good to get them to tell someone that they know what's happened because as you tell someone what's happened, it becomes more real. So saying to somebody else that I prayed a prayer that asked Jesus into my life is a big step and people will do that if they prayed that prayer and he's come in. What we learn here in church, we need to take out into the world. That's the point of our year of mission, isn't it? The key thing is that we need to take it out into the world. And I don't know if you've ever heard this little picture about what church is like sometimes. But sometimes the people in church are a bit like tadpoles. Tadpoles have little tails and big heads, don't they? And sometimes people in church swim around in the church pond and their heads get bigger and bigger. That's what happens to tadpoles. Their heads get bigger and bigger. And we get filled, all our heads get filled with all the stuff that church teaches us. We learn all the right prayers. We learn all the right things to say. We learn when to stand up and sit down. We might even learn how to be on a rotor and get a badge. Uh, we might learn all these things. And the competition is to see which tadpole has the biggest head. And that's, that's what church can sometimes be like. But God didn't make tadpoles to stay in the pond. God made tadpoles to turn into frogs, didn't he? And so we're called to grow some legs and to get out of the pond. That's what God made us for. Perhaps it was because of that man at the temple gate suddenly getting his legs. But we're meant to get some legs, aren't we? To get up from where we are. To start jumping about and telling people about Jesus. We're meant to go out and eat some slugs and bugs in this world that are messing up God's good creation. We're meant to get out of here and share this good news. And we can do that by just offering to pray for people in coffee shops, when we go round for dinner, in all sorts of places where we meet people, in the bus queue. Who knows where we might say a little prayer to somebody just to say, can I pray for you? After they've told you their need, 
just to pray a little prayer of blessing. It's not rocket science, honestly. What we're going to do is we're going to practice it right now. Because if you don't practice something, you never get good at it, okay? So what we're going to do is turn to the person next to you, okay? And we're going to do this little exercise. You're going to pray a little prayer of blessing for someone near you. You need to ask, is it okay if I pray for you? Because no one wants to be forced to be prayed over. And everybody can say no, okay? So would you like me to pray for you? Then you are quiet for a moment, listen to what God says, and then pray a little prayer of blessing for the person next to you. Decide who's going to go first. A little prayer of blessing, not a long one, a little prayer of blessing. Doesn't have to be deep or uh, insightful, just needs to start us off, doesn't it? That's all this little exercise is. Praying a little prayer of blessing for the person next to you. Okay? So... Uh, ask them if it's okay to pray, face one another, wait for a moment, see what God's saying about the person next to you or the person behind you, and then pray a little prayer of blessing for them. Okay? Three, two, one, go. I've got one here. Good, that was a bit scary, wasn't it? But I had a lovely prayer prayed for me, and I'm sure there'd be some other lovely prayers going on in here. And doesn't it just, doesn't it just make it worthwhile? Doesn't it just, letting God in so that God can do his stuff just helps us to be the people that God wants us to be. We can take God's blessing out to lots of people in lots of places. Unexpected people in unexpected places. Yes, we need to make friends and build relationships. But every now and again, God will put someone in our path that he just wants us to pray for. So we've now got these three tools in our toolbox. We've got our story, we've got God's story, and then we've got a prayer. Praying for somebody in need. Because we are the church. 
When I looked at this picture, I thought all those people were walking out, but I'm not sure they are now. Are they walking out or are they walking in? They might be walking in. But we are the church. We are the priesthood of all believers. It's our job to get out there and say some prayers. We have a message to deliver of another kingdom that we long to come and be made real here amongst us. Wouldn't it be good if at coffee every week, instead of talking about the weather and the football results, which I know I do a lot, instead of talking about the football results, we talked about how many people we'd shared our story with. On the Camino, I shared my story with six people, okay? And one of them was an Australian who was into Indian... um, mysticism and then there were two young guys from uh, Germany and there was a lovely couple from Serbia and there was a lady from uh, Mexico Uh, and all of them uh, heard my story and all of them uh, you know I managed to get that bit right even if I messed up in other places I managed to get that bit right Um, wouldn't it be great if we could talk about how many people we shared our story with How many times we've shared God's story. How many people we've prayed for. And bring back and encourage one another. Stories of sharing God's good news with our people around us. Let's say a prayer as we finish. Heavenly Father, we know that you are Lord of all. And that you have a plan for this world. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your purposes, your plans in the people around us, that you would help us to see with your eyes the needs that there are in people's lives and help us, Lord, to pray your blessing into the lives of those around us that you might be made real amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.